Hello, TTB community, and welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. Joining me today is the incredibly pert Elliot Chibley. Pert. Pert. What is pert? Yes. So, I knew you were going to ask. Yeah, I've and never I heard have of the it. definition open. Having much high spirited energy and movement. Now, it depends on what you're doing. <laughs> But so in the context of like right now in the podcast, no, but when we're out, when we're moving, when we're on a trail, when we're walking and traveling a new city, you very much have a very uh, perty, I don't know if that's a real word, perty energy to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> it sounds like perky. It does sound like perky, okay. but it's not. It's P-E-R-T. All right. All right. All right, so our guest today is Melody Warnick, and she has been a TEDx speaker and author, If You Could Live Anywhere, which we're going to be discussing, and that is available on sale now as of July 26th. And we're going to talk about her personal experiences traveling and living anywhere and how it really doesn't matter anymore where you live. Um, and she's not alone. So about 46% of Americans are reassessing where they live during the pandemic and post-pandemic and being a digital nomad. And she provides a ton of insight on all of this. And this is a really, really valuable conversation if you're looking to get out of staying in the same place and looking to travel more while still being able to work. So travel tip, keep your Airbnb on all the same profile if you have a partner and... Bob yeah, I did specifically made the mistake of having two accounts. It's super annoying. So the travels that I've done with my wife are through her account, her Airbnb. So we're talking like Thailand and like all of the like the Balkans. We did so much traveling together. And then for whatever reason, me being a silly little goose, I made the one of my own personal Airbnb. So now there's Peru and Morocco on there. Um, yeah, it would be way better if it was just all under one profile for the whole review process that sort of helps you get get in. And so, yeah, make it all under one. If you're if you're married, um, yeah. I would recommend doing a joint, taking that that next step. That's and, commitment. And establishing a joint Airbnb. That's when you know it's real. Yeah. Uh, and joint Absolutely. Airbnb account. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not, and if you end up traveling with friends that are not sharing your account, you can always invite them to the trip with you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So before we get into the episode, please check out some of the cool travel products we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page, and once you download it, you have it forever, and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better. To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step -step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be plan efficient trips now and forever.
all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure. Yeah. And now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our services pages on our website and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel around table discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Melody, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. It is nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to talk to you today about your book, If You Could Live Anywhere. And that, that is, by the way, the title for everyone listening. And the subtext of that is the surprising importance of place in a work from anywhere world. And as the listeners can tell, this is very important to Bob and myself and probably to them. So we're excited to talk to you about why you wrote the book and the contents of the book. So before we get into all of that, can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself and how you became an anywhereist? Yeah, so I have been a writer for uh, about 20 years, classic anywhereist career. Um, and I went through a period of life where I'm married, I have kids, where my family was moving around fairly frequently every couple of years or so. We would end up in a new place. Um, and I should say that my husband is not as much of an anywhereist. He uh, would move for jobs, for grad school, for another job. We'd move to get a little closer to family or to get a little farther away from family. And I became really interested in this process of when you are new in a community, how do you put down roots there? How does a place start to feel like home and, and like a place you want to stay? And so that led to my first book, which is called This Is Where You Belong. And it's sort of an exploration of what happens when we uh, live in communities, what we can do intentionally to feel at home there, to fall in love with the places where we live. Um, and then I, I just became sort of obsessed with this concept of how our places affect our lives, how they influence us. Um, and I, I became aware that there's this whole business of talent attraction or retention. Just as you're trying to figure out where you want to live, there are tons of communities out there that want you to choose them. So that led me to write the second book called If You Could Live Anywhere. I think this is a question that tons of us ask ourselves. If you could live anywhere, if you had that freedom to choose, where would you want to go? And I became interested in thinking about how people make those choices and how the places that we live can make our lives better. So that's what I've been thinking about for the past several years. 
So what yeah. does that process look like? Because I, so my background is a little bit in uh, geography and I remember a lot of my classmates and a lot of my professors were either like in the military or military brats. So they were the children of military parents that moved around constantly. And I, in the beginning of my life, I was a little bit the same. My dad um, was in the Navy. So, you know, I grew up in Florida for a time, then North Carolina, and then finally made my way to Pennsylvania. But it is, it's an interesting process because we always, they've always had that conversation of what is home and the definition of home is means a lot of different things to a lot of different people especially military brats but we never really got into the the topic that you're writing about which is how to establish those roots how to establish friendships how to establish and make it feel like it's you're part of that community yeah military families are such an interesting case because they really have very little choice about it and they're moving so frequently and so they're actually a really good case study for how this works. My theory about place attachment is that we can choose to fall in love with the places that we live. We can choose to develop a relationship with them and we can be really intentional about it. I actually wrote in um, it, This Is Where You Belong about a friend who was a military spouse, was moving every few years. And her advice that she had gotten from another military family member was unpack your suitcase. And that is kind of the idea, not just literally unpack your stuff, but settle in. Even if you know you're only going to be in a community for a couple months or a year, don't treat it like a brief stopover. Actually engage, become part of the community. Um, you know, make the home your own, the actual home you're in, but in addition to that, become part of the town. So for me, uh, when I started writing this book, I had just moved to my community of Blacksburg, Virginia. My husband got a job here at uh, Virginia Tech University. And I always moved thinking, this new place is going to just change my life. Everything is going to be better in this new town. And then we moved and I was like, okay, I was delusional and <laughs> this town sucks. It's rainy all the time. I don't know anyone. Everyone has a crazy Southern accent. And I just didn't feel at home here. Um, and then because I'd been a writer for so long, my response to this was, okay, I'm going to look at the research. You know, what does the research say? about how to start feeling better about this town. And I came across this concept of place attachment, which is the feeling we have of being at home in a place. And place attachment comes from behaviors. So my theory became, if I identify behaviors that are correlated with place attachment, I, I can do those behaviors in my town. So it was things like walking um, or biking instead of driving that kind of helps you develop mental maps and have a sense of ownership of your place. It was things like getting to know my neighbors or volunteering in my community, getting civically engaged, um, trying to become a, uh, a regular at a local restaurant. And all these things were really small behavior changes for the most part. They were easy things, doable things. But over time, they had this impact of making me feel like 
this was my town. Um, and the spoiler alert is I, I still live in Blacksburg, Virginia. It's been 10 years now since I've been here. And before I, I liked, I liked going to a new place. I liked the idea that if I moved to a new town, that new town was going to fix me. It was going to fix, you know, everything that was wrong in my life, that the place was going to heal me. And I eventually realized that a town becomes the right place for you when you choose it, when you want it to be. And that's what I did in Blacksburg. And now I don't really want to move. You know, I'm I'm still happy here, which is kind of a miracle based on how I felt when I first got here, which was, oh, my gosh, get me out of here. I don't belong. <laughs> that That's interesting. That's really interesting. And, and the... We've talked about this before, this idea that travelers seek out something, seek out a destination, hoping that it'll fulfill them in some way. And then all they do is they want to go to the next destination uh, to find additional fulfillment. I think I, I believe it's turned like the hedonic treadmill. And like you could do it with, with like a car. Like you, you, you buy the BMW and then you want the Audi and like – or you, you buy the 50-inch TV and then you want the 70-inch TV. It's like this temporary satisfaction that you get. But ultimately what you have to do is like look internally and figuring it out for yourself and not relying on external factors – to uh, do that. But uh, what I want to get into now is um, this idea of being an anywhereist and essentially how people can do that and like how they should view the locations that they can work anywhere uh, from. Um, yeah, like can you just, I guess, roll into this sort of location independence, the aspect of this book? Oh, don't hear you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So the idea uh, of an anywhereist, how you would define an anywhereist, is someone who has the freedom to choose where they live and work. And it's actually probably more people than we tend to think of. I think um, with COVID, we saw so many people become remote workers. And all of a sudden, people who hadn't had that autonomy before are in a position where they don't have to live in the big city or in, in the suburbs. They really can take that job and go anywhere they want with it. So I think that's sort of the classic anywhereist in my mind is someone who really has a portable kind of work that they can take wherever they go. But in a broader sense, a lot of us come to those inflection points in our lives, no matter what we do. You know, think of teachers or doctors or lawyers, the kind of people that you find all over the country and all over the world who are, uh, they are needed in most cities and small towns. And you wouldn't call it a portable job per se. You know, teachers are definitely getting up and going to work, or at least they are now, thankfully, that the pandemic is kind of waning. But all of those people had a moment when they chose, you know, when they chose where am I going on the job market? What kinds of jobs am I applying for? And where do I want that to play out for myself? One of the people that I wrote about in If You Could Live Anywhere was a woman who was living in Santa Cruz, California with her husband and working as a reading specialist at an elementary school but it was super expensive to live there. They felt like they were always scrambling to make rent and they kind of 
had this aha moment of realizing, you know, there are elementary schools all over the country. And so they went on a cross country road trip, just drove all over. And with that in mind, like, we're going to find the next place that we're going to live. And eventually they settled in small town Graham, North Carolina, where the fact that they were living in a less expensive place opened up some additional career opportunities for them. So I think a lot of us, even people who maybe feel like we don't have that all remote portable job, a lot of us have more choice in where we live than we think we do. And so in my mind, that is what makes someone an anywhereist is you have that freedom to choose where you live. You have a little bit of autonomy there and you want to take it. <laughs> you you want to be thoughtful about where you want to end up, where you want to put down roots and live. Yeah. One thing that I found really interesting was one of the bullet points that we received uh, was essentially putting... It was summarized by saying that if you live in the right place, you can shrink work to the rear view mirror, allowing your priorities to shift to your values and, and sources of contentment. And that's like that that's something that I've personally been focus on, focusing on. So I'm not someone that believes like anybody could be anything they want to be if they put their mind to it. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that unfortunately, the reality is a lot of people have to deal with jobs that they don't like. Uh, and I'm one of those people where my job isn't super fulfilling, but uh, I, I've figured out a way to sort of give it a back seat. And so it's not like the focal point of my life anymore, um, which now I feel fulfilled because I found other, other ways to, to fill what work once was. So I, I love this idea of using location independence to do that. Uh, can you explain that further? Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's this idea that the places that we live can give us the freedom to choose how much of a role we want work to play in our lives. So one of the examples that I share in the book is a guy named Paul Jarvis. He's a fairly well-known marketer, has written his own books, but he lives on this tiny Canadian island where you know, internet access is maybe not always uh, reliable, but he has access to nature. He gets to go surfing all the time. And he has written that that helps him keep work in perspective because he's in a place that allows him to pursue other passions. I think that's, you know, one of the principal goals of being in anywhere is, is that you can choose to live someplace that reminds you of the other things that are important to you. Another woman that I wrote about in the book moved with her family to Alaska precisely because they wanted to spend more time outside and being in Alaska reminded them of what was important to them. And it wasn't automatic. They had to, you know, Alaska isn't always great weather. They had to kind of make a decision when they got there. Okay, we're going to go outside every day. And, um, and they did. And, you know, I think when we choose the place we live, we're sort of choosing the person we want to be. We're, we're choosing kind of this 
idealized version of ourselves. So we have to be a little careful that we're not completely aspirational about this, you know, that, oh, if only I lived in the mountains, I would ski every day and I wouldn't be putting in these 60 hour work weeks. But I think certain places have cultures that allow for things in our lives other than work. And so choosing your place can be part of that strategy, part of that strategy of keeping your work from taking over the rest of your life and allowing yourself access to other things that you value. I also think that there's a huge component here of finances, right? Like when you live in an expensive city, you really feel compelled to keep working and keep climbing that ladder. When you sort of opt out of that by moving to a less expensive place, you're genuinely giving yourself some freedom to work less, you know, just literally you need less money to, to live here. And that can also help keep work in, in balance in your life. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have to work as much because you don't need as much money, that's nice. This is, this is a really interesting conversation and, or I should say, the topic is interesting because I don't think it necessarily just applies to individuals who want to be living anywhere. This to me is like, it could be directly pointed to soon college graduates because when you, when you grow up, um, you are, your home is typically where you grew up and your parents made that decision, not you. So you identify most with the place that your parents chose to live. And then when you get out of college, I'd say 20 to 30 years ago, it was you choosing a career path that would choose your destination. And now there's there's been a huge shift. And I don't know if it's specifically generational, like the millennial class or the Gen Z or Gen X class. But when when our generations graduated, we wanted to live at a specific place and then find work there. And... This is just kind of like a, a formulaic book and, and the way I see it is a formulaic book of how to establish those roots and how to establish family and feel like a community no matter where you end up going. But one of the topics that I think is really interesting is, and we can kind of, this is, this is a massive tangent and I don't want to take it too far, but this idea that it, when people start to live where they want to go or choosing where they live and then finding work there. Um, I think it's going to end up being that people are going to end up living where there are more people like them or at least like-minded. So I think we're going to start seeing a shift. I mean, even if you look at Texas right now, the, the rural areas of Texas are extremely red, but the cities have become extremely blue because of the mass exodus. And it's like a diaspora of, uh, the city version of California now just moving to Austin and Houston because it's cheaper, but it's still like this, this blue concentration in the middle of this vast red sea. Yeah. I, I think not everyone is completely clear to themselves about this, but I think most of us, when we're looking for a place to move, a place where we want to live, we are looking for our people we yeah. are looking for a community um, of people who are like us. Sometimes that can be problematic. And that's one of the reasons why we see 
such polarization in our country is because uh, we are living in communities where people vote um, and think a lot like us. And so we are, we're kind of creating our own echo chambers, you know, Mm -hmm. by where we choose to live. One woman that I interviewed for, um, if you could live anywhere, was really upfront about the fact that she lived in a Southern city and she felt like it was really conservative and she wanted out and she wanted to find a city that would be liberal because she was, and she wanted to be in a place that felt like that was a fit. And I totally get that completely. Um, and, and yet on the other hand, I wish people would choose to live in more diverse places. I think there's some evidence. Um, Livability did a study of what millennials, what factors millennials are considering when they choose places to live. And diversity was one of the things that people say they want when they're, when they're choosing a place to live, they say they want diversity. I think sometimes probably we're saying it more than we're actually choosing it. But in an ideal world, we're choosing to live in diverse places. But I think in reality, we choose a place that mirrors who we are, where we see other people like us, where we think we'll be able to find community. And that's important too, right? We want to be around people who uh, understand us, that we can connect with. And I think if I could you know, give one piece of advice to people who are moving to a new community. That's it is find your people as quickly as you can. It gets harder when you get older, right? Like I think people, they go to college, you have these built in friends for four years and then you graduate and you're kind of floundering. You don't know how to, to how to meet people, how to make friends. I, I think, um, we've seen the decline of a lot of civic associations um, and those kinds of things that used to be where people met others to hang out with. But, you know, we, we've seen that be replaced by things like Tinder and that's okay. You know, we, maybe that's just the new way we make friends. But I think if you can come into a new community thinking, I am going to be really intentional and focused about finding my people in this community, whether that's, you know, joining a rec soccer league or Mm -hmm. finding a church or volunteering in your community, things like that. If you can find your people, you will develop place attachment a lot quicker. It's really hard to have that sense of place attachment to want to stay in a community if you don't have friends there, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I know, uh, I think, before the you know rise of social media and all of these apps that people can meet each other online before actually meeting each other in like a bar or at a community church or at a volunteering event, um, that happened way more frequently. And now there is something that kind of blends the two. And it's, I don't know if you're familiar with Meetup. And it's no, basically, <laughs> it's an online platform that you can basically put in your area and you can set the distance that you want to find different organizations to meet up and people you yourself could organize a little meetup and then you just share what or you choose all of your interests whether you're into hiking or crocheting or you know going on group runs and then you 
put all those interests in, you follow all of the groups that are associated with that, and then you either get notifications or emails that they're putting a group together to do this thing on a Tuesday or a Sunday. And then you can choose to go to that and meet all those people and make new friends. Like I know I've got a few on uh, mine that I'm like, I'm interested in real estate. So I've got a few real estate groups or volleyball or ultimate Frisbee. And it's really nice because it's not, you you know the people that are going, but you don't know them. And then you actually get to meet them and understand who they are in person rather than just typing on a keyboard. Totally. I love that, actually. I, you know, we don't have to use only computers or only in person. We can meld both of them and get the best of both worlds. I think since COVID, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but I think people got really happy just being in their houses, you know, like we just introverted the heck out of this pandemic. And now some of us are having a hard time emerging from that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and that's okay. But we, being social isn't optional. We have to find people and, and ways to interact with people, not just online, but in our community as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I literally had this conversation with my wife uh, a few days ago that I, I, I didn't realize how, uh, not self-involved, but how lacking I was in like my social aspect of life because of how COVID has impacted and how much we've just been staying at home and doing things as a unit and not, you know, going out to dinner, going out to a sporting event or doing all these things. So this is this spring was the first time that we actually had communal events like our softball league and our sand volleyball league. And it was so nice. It's like, oh my gosh, I love talking to people. <laughs> like I have forgotten what this was like. Oh, yeah. Human oh. interaction. Oh, so yeah. I, I want to maybe try to give the listeners a little bit more practical advice. And I saw that you identified something as a location strategy and you you give insight on how someone can actually start planning this location strategy. Can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is if you're in that position where you're an anywhereist and you're rethinking where you live, which a lot of people are coming out of the pandemic, um, it can be completely overwhelming. There are more than 10,000 municipalities in the world. And, uh, you know, the chance of you becoming completely paralyzed by choice is really high. And so in my book, I share some exercises to help people really strategize about this. The idea is kind of in the same way that a, a corporation like Starbucks is really thoughtful about where they're going to plant new stores and they have reasons for putting it on this corner instead of this corner, we need to likewise be thoughtful about where we want to plant ourselves. And I think, um, you know, step one is figuring out, do you actually need to move? <laughs> because I think sometimes when we, you know, our job went remote um, and you know, all of a sudden we realize, oh my gosh, I, I could move. <laughs> um, sometimes it, it becomes this imperative, like, well, I guess I have to move. Um, and that isn't the solution for everyone. So, you know, you need to ask yourself some questions about what you would get out of moving and what would, what you would be losing by leaving your current town. Maybe it's just an obvious choice. You've been miserable forever or whatever. Um, but think first about, do I need to move? 
And once you've decided, yes, I, I really want to move, then you can move on to some of these other questions. And really, I want people to think about, you know, what kind of place is your ideal place? Where would you live your best life? What are some of the deal breakers that you absolutely have to have? I think, you know, for a lot of us, it's great internet connections. Um, but also it might be, I want good schools for my kids, or I want affordable housing, or um, I, I really want to live in a place that has a local theater community. Sometimes it can get really nitty gritty. But underlying a lot of this is your values. You know, thinking about what values do you want to bring to bear in your community and how can a new community support you in, in living those values? It's kind of what we were talking about with keeping work in its proper perspective. We choose what we want our life to look like and what we want our, our values to be. And then we try and identify a place that fits that. I think it's, um, you know, I, I know people who have done the thing where they just spin a, a globe and put their finger down and that is it. And I applaud those people, but I don't know that I would recommend it for most people. I think most people need to get really clear on uh, what they're searching for. And for a lot of people, it will come down to making a chart and, you know, identifying candidate cities and doing some research. Do they have this quality and this quality? But getting getting thoughtful and intentional about choosing the place you want to live. Yeah. And specifically, how can living outside of the U.S. assist in that decision making? Well, living outside of the U.S. has become maybe the very best way to live an affordable life. As we've seen, you know, over the past year, housing prices in the United States have gone completely insane all over the country. A lot of people are struggling financially. And so I think if you want to, uh, if you want to create a life for yourself that is affordable, that allows you to design your life and live the way you want to live, looking outside the U.S. is one of the great ways to do that. I interviewed um, a woman for If You Could Live Anywhere named Susanna Perkins, and she told me about living in Florida during the last recession in 2008. Her husband had lost his job. He was like doing courier deliveries on his bike in downtown Orlando. She lost her job in a law office. And they were struggling just to pay the mortgage. And they had always sort of dreamed of, you know, one day retiring overseas. But all of a sudden, it became the way to just stay afloat. So they moved to Panama and all their expenses dropped significantly. And because of that, um, it took so much stress off worrying about money. They were able to enjoy their lives more. Plus, she had more sort of emotional bandwidth and mental freedom to come up with other solutions. So she, you know, developed a website that she was able to monetize and 
help solve some of her family's financial issues. So I think for a lot of people, moving overseas is a really great solution that adds to your ability to create for yourself the kind of life you really want to live. It's good to hear because I've just started that process. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Very early stages. Research. Uh, re- I'm in the research process. I uh, haven't even narrowed down the location yet. I believe Europe, but not really sure where yet. So is yeah. this a financial decision for you or just a, a, a life decision? It is uh, financial. It is a finances are considered, uh, but it is more of a life decision in light of uh, school shootings, kind of over them, to put it lightly, and uh, yeah. willing to seek uh, raising my children in a country where it doesn't exist. Wow, and, you know, that's yeah. sort of yeah, sort of where we are. So it was it, it was interesting getting your email and getting you know receiving your book. We didn't have time to read it before the podcast, unfortunately. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think that is, that's a great example. You know, people have all sorts of reasons for wanting to leave the United States and money is just one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how it all plays out. Um, so is there anything else that you want to discuss before we... I definitely, I still have one question that is, uh, yeah, I think yeah, is very ahead. important to our listeners and you do cover it in the book, but a lot of municipalities, cities are offering incentives to move there. And we've talked about this specifically in some of our travel bites, but not in great depth. Can you give us some examples and talk about what are the incentives and what do they, what would they look like to someone that wanted to move? Yeah, so this kind of comes from a new way of looking at economic development. It used to be that towns and cities only focused on attracting businesses, you know, a company that's going to build a factory or a company that's going to relocate to your town and they're going to bring all their employees. And that was the way you boosted your local economy as you brought a business. Well, that has changed in the past five or 10 years. And now communities are cutting out the middleman And they're looking at just attracting the talent, Um, talent being you and me and anyone who is an anywhereist and can choose where to do their work. So one of the communities that I wrote about in If You Could Live Anywhere is the Shoals, Alabama, which is a collection of three towns in Alabama. And they offered a $10,000 incentive. They mostly focused on tech workers. And so it was kind of like, this stage incentive, you had to prove your income and, and things like that. And that was their their first round. We'll give you $10,000. Uh, the longer you stay, the more of that money you get to come settle in our community and work here, pay taxes here, get involved here. It was so successful that they did a second round and opened it up to just anyone who had a, a portable anywhere sort of job. And then COVID hit and their applications just went through the roof of people who want a different kind of life. So these are people who were, you know, living in New York and all of a sudden they're stuck at home, you know, working around the kitchen table and they just want to get out of there. So kind of all sorts of careers, you know, like a, a sportscaster and government employees and, you know, writers and tech workers. So anyone who had kind of that anywhere's career could apply. 
and then they would interview you and uh, invite you to come. And once you came, you know, you'd get, I think it was, you know, $500 a month or, or something like that, up to $10,000. But they also, you were kind of part of a cohort. And so there was some social aspect to it, some support like that. Um, so, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma pioneered this. They came up with a program called Tulsa Ramon. They were sort of the first ones over, I, I think they launched it in 2019. They have since brought several thousand people to Tulsa. Wow. Uh, but other communities are doing all sorts of things. There's a website called Make My Move that actually catalogs offers like these that communities are making. Some of them are... Um, move here and we'll help you pay off your student loan debt or move here and you can get free land or some, you know, huge discount on a home. Bentonville, Arkansas offered $10,000 and a mountain bike to underscore I, I that this that is a, a great biking destination. So these are real offers that you may uh, qualify for. I would never recommend that someone move to an unknown city just to get this, you know, extra $10,000 boost that maybe covers your moving expenses. But it is just, it, it's kind of a, a marketing uh, strategy for these small towns and a way to get attention. But a lot of these places are great places to live. Um, I talked to a couple who took advantage of the offer from the Shoals. They moved there from Florida talked about how much more house they could afford in the Shoals and how friendly the community was, and they loved it. So they were ready to move. They wanted to move to a smaller, more friendly community, and that $10,000 was just kind of something that gave them a little nudge in one direction, but it's sort of a fun way to consider new communities. Yeah, I just looked at the makemymove.com, and I just... Search through a few of them, and there's one for Greater Rochester, New York, that is a ten thousand dollar relocation incentive and up to nine thousand dollars in home buyer incentives. And there's stipulations that apply, but that's that's really awesome. And there's so many, there's hundreds listed, from like little little towns across the Midwest to the East Coast to the West Coast. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. So the state of Vermont offered a remote worker grant of ten thousand dollars. For a couple of years, it was quite controversial in the state, you know, of people who already live there saying, uh, we could use that $10,000 too. But places want, they want you. I think that's an yeah. important thing for people who are anywhere else to think about that there are hundreds of communities out there who would love to welcome you. They want you to be a part of their community. And if you can take advantage of some of these deals, and find a place that feels like a good fit for you, then I think it's really exciting. Yeah, very exciting. That's so cool. Extremely exciting. And and, and this is only going to become more and more popular. And yeah. COVID jump-started like exponentially. It's, it's You're seeing it snowball even more than I ever have. Yeah. Well, uh, it's I fascinating. This is a tool for cities, specifically cities that are, you know, still recovering from like their industrial era or – from any time they had, where they were so specific 
and then that economy just crashed. Like I can think of several cities in um, on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, like Harrisburg, Reading, Bethlehem, all that focused on like steel and coal, and then all of that just disappeared, and they've never been able to recover. And while cities in general seem to be more expensive, these cities are still kind of cheaper. And then incentivizing individuals to come and kind of fill those gaps in the population, it's a great way for those government agencies, government bodies to bring people. So I think a lot of us want to live in a place that offers us a good quality of life. And so a lot of us choose to live in vibrant places that have restaurants and theater and music. But something that can be really rewarding is to choose a place that needs you and where you can contribute. And I I think that should be part of people's location strategy is to think about how living in this community might give you a sense of meaning and purpose because those, you know, Rust Belt cities that you were talking about, Elliot, those give us, they want you there and they often will give you more chances to contribute, to create the city that you want and to make things happen in your town. That's one of the reasons I love small towns too, because it's a little easier to get involved and get engaged and, getting involved and engaged are the things that make us fall in love with our city and develop that Absolutely. place attachment. Yeah. And I, I've taken, I've mentioned that many times on the podcast about being involved in the community. And I've actually taken the first step myself. I actually joined my uh, local uh, shade tree commission in my borough. So now I'm a part of that and it's actually really it. rewarding. And I, you, I know, Bob, you're familiar with Simon Sinek. Melody, do you know that name? Yes, the yeah. Find Your Why guy. Yeah, so he, he's he been done a lot of research on millennials in the workforce and the, I guess, complicated relationship between millennials and boomers in the workforce. But there there's some research that he's done that shows that millennials really are interested in making the biggest impact possible in the shortest amount of time possible. And so they struggle when they're at a place for six months to a year and don't feel like they made an impact on this multi-million dollar corporation. And so they end up finding a new job. And I think there's, there's this understanding of a patience and delayed gratification, but finding meaning and fulfillment through your community organizations. I think it is a great way. So if you're a millennial or Gen Z or Gen X listening to this right now and you don't feel fulfilled in your current job, think about getting involved in your community because I guarantee you'll find some way to help that you will feel fulfilled. Yeah, I, that's a huge part of what I talk about. And if you could live anywhere, it's this idea of your town is your office, you know, mm-hmm. that the things that we want our work to provide us, we want meaning and we want connection and we want a sense of growth. A lot of times your town can offer those more successfully, more efficiently. We just have to choose the right place and decide to invest our efforts there and get engaged. And so I think looking at places that maybe aren't perfect, but have room to grow can actually be really fulfilling and usually less expensive too. So it's a twofer. Yeah. Awesome. Melody, I, I have loved this conversation. Um, and we have a rapid fire round that we're going to get into that we specifically did not warn you about, but (laughs) 
I found out about it. Oh, you by did. listening to, to oh. episodes. Oh. But I know the questions change, and so I'm, I may not be a hundred percent prepared. Okay. But okay. yes, I will. Right. I'm just going to say what comes to my mind. All right. So before we get into that, though, we do want to give you an opportunity to share any social media handles that you have, any websites, and any other books that you wish to share. Yeah. So my website is melodywarnick.com, and I'm on Instagram a little more often than I'm on anything else, just at Melody Warnick. And my books are um, This Is Where You Belong, which came out in 2016, and the new book, which came out in July of 2022, is If You Could Live Anywhere, and um, should be available at booksellers and online. Awesome. All right. So, rapid fire round. First question is, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Exploration. Love it. Okay. Which travel book, not your own, we're not going to let you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Which travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Probably A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson Mm -hmm. about his journey on the Appalachian Trail. I think it was the first travel book I ever read. And now I live like 10 minutes from the Appalachian Trail. So Hey, me too. Nice. All full circle. Yeah. He wrote a book. uh, It's one of his more recent books called The Body. So he, I I haven't read it yet. I have it. It's like 600 pages. It is massive. And I just skimmed it. I'm I'm so pumped to eventually read it. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see his take on exploring the body. It's about the human body and how it works and, you know, how it evolved and things like that. Yeah. I'll pretty much read anything by Bill Bryson. Just, he's so good. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Number three is what is one practical thing travelers can do right now to enhance their next travel experience? I think um, committing to being a part of their own community and doing that when they travel. I think developing relationships is a huge part of what makes us happy where we live. And I think that comes into play even when we travel, that mm-hmm. we can meet people, see how they live, and be a part of that for a brief period. Yeah. Great advice. Tell us one thing travelers should not do. <laughs> <laughs> um, they should not uh, stress out too much. I am a total over planner and I, I want everything to be exactly how I want it. And I wish that I were one of those people who could roll with it a little better. And so maybe there are better travelers than I am listening to this who can just be chill. It's funny. I felt very similar when I first started traveling because I felt like I was going to miss out on something if I didn't plan everything. Yeah. And then I realized that I couldn't see everything and I couldn't plan everything. And somehow that gave me peace of mind. And then, and now I'm like a half planner. <laughs> I'll get the meat and potatoes, but forget everything else. Yeah. You you have to have some acceptance uh, mm-hmm. that the trip will not fulfill every single need and right. there will be more to see for sure. Right. And the last question is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago, I was in my mid-30s and 
had so many big travel dreams that I wasn't achieving because I also had fairly small children. So I'd probably tell myself to be patient and, and wait. And those things would happen. Just a month ago, I did a solo trip to Paris. I had never been to Paris and no one else in my family was that terribly interested. And so I just thought, I'm tired of waiting for the perfect moment to make this happen. And I just went by myself and it was amazing. And so I think also realizing you can do this by yourself too. You know, yeah. you you don't have to save up to take the whole family or to find the perfect moment in the calendar. Sometimes you can just go. I like that advice, especially because I'm currently in my mid thirties with small children and I'm like, ah, I haven't traveled anywhere recently. I need to go somewhere. I'm just like dying to, to travel again. So yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Man, it's, it's rough. Just wait it out. Yeah. yeah. Wait, be <laughs> patient. Right. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> All right. Well, Melody, thank you for joining the podcast. It was awesome talking with you today and we really appreciate the insight. Excited to read your books and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you both. Yeah. What, what did you ultimately learn? I think it is now more than ever true that we could go and live anywhere. So I'm excited to bring this experience to the beach because Amanda and I are going for two weeks. And then the second week I plan on doing a little bit of work in the morning, just bring my computer, hopping onto Wi-Fi, and just doing some project coordination and seeing yeah. how that works for me. The remote work, if you do have the ability to do it, is pretty incredible. I I'm doing it now. And and you, to be able to space out your day is awesome. And, um, and, and I'm looking to see where I can sort of move around and work from as well. I I'm looking forward to reading her book. I still have not done that. And I, I have it on like my specific bookshelf for like what's next. Yeah. But it, so I'm really, I'm going to read that. I need to. Yeah. And I think this I'm is, gonna go that route. so I, I, I want to see if you have a similar process of like trying it out for a week's period of time. Cause I think this is really applicable if you're staying for more than two to three weeks, because mm -hmm. then you can really get to know by talk or get to know the place by talking to um, like your waiter, your bartender, your barista, anyone that's local to the area and starting to form that relationship. Yeah. 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 So thank you for listening to the episode. If you can, please follow us on social media, drop us a rating or a review, and you can support us financially through buying us a coffee or literally just donating as little as a dollar a month. You can also get some of our merchandise on Redbubble. Just search the Traveler's Blueprint. We've got t-shirts, iPhone cases, mouse pads, blankets, lots of stuff, which I was kind of surprised about. It's pretty cool. Hats are awesome also. And share us with your neighbors. Uh, get one of those yard signs and stick it in your yard and say, follow the Traveler's Blueprint. <laughs> stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in next week. <laughs>